Welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. This is a bit of a pre-recorded episode, considering that I was able to go through and decide to do this on uh, Wednesday, March 30th, uh, instead of anything leading up to the weekend, considering I am going to be going away on a little bit of a mini road trip just to kind of, like, go through and say hi to some old friends and visit a couple places in BC that, even though I've lived here for basically my entire life, I haven't been able to have the opportunity to go experience them. So at least I'll be able to have this slated for the Tuesday on, what is it, the 5th? And then I will be back a couple of days afterwards. So I tried to get a quick one out here just so I could keep up with the two weeks. I was kind of thinking about either doing this and like lining it up to release it this week. So it could be like a back-to-back -back week sort of thing. But in this case, I'd at least try to like stay to the bi-weekly one, even though I haven't been able to keep that success rate up to 100%. But... Whenever I can, it's definitely nice to keep this going through at a bi-weekly pace so I can at least just have a decent schedule to kind of line these episodes up. So anyways, like lining up to a bit of news, I guess this is going to be a very familiar theme considering that I couldn't shut up about the ratings and the money that the Demon Slayer movie was taken in. Jujutsu Kaisen Zero has officially become the 20th highest grossing film in Japan with 13 billion yen through its gross. Now, I was able to go uh, see this a week and a half ago on its opening weekend, and I would definitely recommend giving this a watch if you were a fan of the original series, or honestly, if you were looking for a jumping on point to kind of get into the series, you could also use this too, considering that it does describe a bit of the power system and the specific curses that are used inside of it, and it is a huge action battle shonen romp that I would imagine anybody who is hyped for well choreographed and well like put together displays of fight scenes and set pieces then you would definitely be able to get something out of this but honestly you do get a lot of good uh like in jokes especially if you've actually seen the show and I would be surprised considering that the the later this series ends up going on, and whenever the second season of Jujutsu Kaisen is going to, it's probably going to be using some of these characters anyway, so it would be probably a good idea to go see this anyways if you are at all or have any other experience related to this series as a whole. Now, Sword Art Online, at least the anime, has turned 10 this year, and while I have less than positive things to say about it, I will definitely admit that this was the first show that I was able to go and have a decent online discourse and conversation while the show was happening weekly. There were not many other things that I could have done around that time in order to get like that same sort of feel, that same sort of like conversation going with a large group of people that were interested in the same thing that I was. Not as much for television, not as much for film, but SAO, regardless of its quality, was definitely the first major uh, popular series that I was able to go through and join in on the conversation and kind of see what everybody else involved had to say about it. And so at least the only thing I can go through and say without uh, diving too deep into the show is that through the 10th anniversary, they ended up doing a little bit of a preview for the second film or the second progressive film. What is it? Sherzo of the Dark Dusk uh, that's going to be premiering at some point. Uh, oh, sorry. It's going to be premiering in Japan this fall. So if it is... Early fall, I could see it coming out by the end of the year. Like, say it comes out in September, then I would definitely see it uh, going through and having a release sometime in December coming out to North America. But if it's like October or later, then you're probably not going to be able to see anything like this coming out until early 2023. So definitely keep that in mind and take what you will from the series. But uh, unless I really, really, really have a bone to pick, which honestly I haven't considering that I have not watched... Past the Mother's Rosario arc, I finished SAO 2, and that was it. I have not jumped into Alakization, or however you decide to pronounce it. I haven't necessarily jumped into any of the Underworld, or anything beyond that scope of the story, but I don't know. It's probably going to be a very, very, very long while before I ever jump back into anything related to this franchise, but for the moment, we're 10 years in, and it's definitely not showing any signs of slowing down. Now, it's definitely one of those weird titles to see, which is still kind of concerning in the sense that we know that Netflix is going to be doubling down, especially considering the amount of productions that they were able to go through and bring about in 2021. But apparently through some of Netflix analytics, more than half of the members on their site globally watched what their blanket term of anime was in the year of 2021 considering that they were involved in the production committees of 40 titles in 2021, which was double that of 2020. And so they're really kind of like jumping in and using this as a springboard for one of the next possibly mainstream uh, mediums inside of television and film to try and cap capitalize on its growing popularity. Now, 
anime in huge quotation marks inside of them, considering that anything that was animated by a Western studio or anything related to those kinds of productions, they just label it as anime, where it's like, no, that's not... We understand that the term anime has been, like, stretched and misconstrued and, like, thrown about in so many ways. I just... My personal view on what anime is, is that it was produced in Japan. It doesn't have to be for a Japanese audience. It could be advertised towards an entirely different demographic or culture or country. But if this is an animated piece that was made inside of Japan, that is what I ultimately consider anime. And so the fact that they are going to put arcane and demon, or not demon slayer, even though I believe that, I think they have part of that under their belt, but they would also put stuff like Castlevania underneath that umbrella is just kind of bullshit, in my opinion, but it would definitely understand why the numbers of that are were essentially so massive in terms of their viewer count, especially when it relates to the viewer base that they have related to all those accounts going through, so... If they dropped 40 titles last year, I'm going to guess it's going to be probably in about the 60 range that they're going to be looking through and producing by the end of this year. So we're just going to have to wait and see. But we definitely know that over the course of the next couple of years is that anime as a medium is going to become a lot more mainstream and a lot more popular for better or worse. And now the last movie that I ended up wanting to talk about is that uh, not really one that I've seen yet, but I had the opportunity to see a very, very limited window, which I think I've already talked about before in the Oscars episode, is that uh, Fortune Favors Lady Nikuko uh, had a, I think, one to two week window where you would have to pay for a subscription for the virtual Ottawa Film Festival, and I did not think that it would have been a good idea for me to just essentially go through on the sense that, hey, this is Studio 4C. I definitely, you know, go through and appreciate their output, but I don't think it would be enough for me to pay for this subscription, even though it would have given me the opportunity to see every other, like, animated film underneath their catalog would have definitely, which is definitely something that should have been, which would have been, like, more than enough of a good opportunity, but it's just, I don't know, it was just not something that I wanted to go through, but at least now the film is going to be opening in North America in, on June 3rd, where tickets sold under G-Kids will be sold and available to go up on their website on April 29th. So if it's definitely something that's interested to you, then uh, yeah, definitely uh, go and look for that release and kind of see how that pops up over the next couple of months. So now I guess this was kind of an episode that I wanted to do last week, but I ended up going through and finding another topic to talk about anyways, and definitely knowing that the winter 2022 season is coming to an end, leading into essentially the beginning of the spring 2022 season. There's still a, a lot more stuff that I'm going to be able to talk about in those coming weeks, but for now there wasn't necessarily much, and if I wanted to get a quick episode out, there is definitely something that I can at least go through and talk about with detail and in depth, but still not take up too much of your time. So at least a very slipshod and quick review, or at least ranking in the sense that we know that Ghibli Fest is going to be going through once again in North America, so how about at this point I just basically rank every single uh, Ghibli slash Isao... Well, mm, not any of Takahata's, even though we know that Takahata and Miyazaki ended up working on several films before doing Studio Ghibli. The only ones in particular that I'm going to be adding to this list as kind of like a compromise or just something that's a bit of a sneak in to bend the rules is that there are going to be two films, which are Nasca the Valley of the Wind, which were made by a lot of the veterans that ended up forming Studio Ghibli, but at the time, Ghibli wasn't essentially a company underneath that name, so, so technically it's out of it, but I do want to involve it. I also want to involve the Castle of Cagliostro, because even though I know that this was produced by TMS, Tokyo Movie Shinsha, um, it was Miyazaki's directorial debut, and the only other one that I can go through, especially with Takahata, considering that The Great Adventure of Horse, Prince of the Sun, would also be underneath that same umbrella, as well as Panda Go Panda, um, I'm not going to be involving uh, either of those, considering that those are probably ones that I haven't seen, but I guess considering that I'm already this far down the list at some point, I'm just going to have to go through and give it a watch. But at least for now, I want to go through, in ascending order, basically go through and tell you essentially about my ranking personally in terms of the 24 films that are underneath this very loose <laughs> uh, like set of rules and this umbrella that I want to try and get across and at least go through. 
Um, so I guess the one that I want to talk about at least because I really don't want to go through and like waste any more time on it anyways is Earwig and the Witch, which underneath Studio Ghibli's umbrella is easily the worst fucking abomin- abomination is definitely stretching it, but I don't know. I hated every single like moment inside of this just the janky cg that they were honestly trying to go through and like put a different spin on but really didn't help which even was worse considering that inside of the credit scenes they end up doing like some really good 2d storybook sketches of all the characters and some of the events that take place in the uh, children's book and it was like that would have been a much better style but no we had to go through the cg abomination and essentially go through i don't hate cg especially it's a lot better to make a series that you are producing consistent if you do decide to take the majority of it into like a cg piece and a production but man did all these characters look bad like the only redeeming quality about this whole movie is the count or the baron or whatever this demon thing is living inside and basically controls the house like he was the only one that i was in intensely curious about and they only gave him like less than five minutes near the end of the story and it was just kind of like oh man like you were the only like shining light everybody else inside of the story was like a wet towel like it was so pointless and useless and soggy and absolutely dripping with malice and just i don't know pain this is the only way that i can go through if any of the like i can't even recommend this on a hate watch because there's even like through substances there is no way to like make this enjoyable at all like it is easily the worst like film underneath this catalog so please do not go and watch this i do not want to spend any more time on this than i have to so these next three that i ended up putting up in a bracket would probably just be of the same like people can argue that a lot of these can like go into their tops and their favorites but it just never really goes through except for Earthsea. <laughs> Tales of Earthsea is definitely one of those where the production is stellar and solid. They do a really good job in like setting up the world but the characters are just completely like off the wall like not necessarily doing anything consistent. The big bad at the end is just so like pointlessly shoehorn in that like literally you could have just made the main character the antagonist with all of his anger and his rage but then just nothing else really sticks and it just definitely seemed like it was something so personal in the, in the fact that the first scene inside of this movie is the main character stabbing his father and it's like hmm i wonder, i wonder what this is an allegory for goro i really fucking wonder what this is um and it's just not really worth the time i would definitely say even though i haven't read them go read the books considering i've heard nothing but positive things about people who have essentially tried to like peel this adaptation away from this from the stories as a whole so definitely go and give those books a watch um, the two that I would kind of give a little bit more in leeway towards just having not what I was looking for, but I could totally understand why people would like them would definitely be My Neighbors the Yamadas and Pompoko. Pompoko just, I can definitely understand like the style and how that kind of environmental message would definitely be something that worked more inside of a modern setting, well, even in this, even in the time that it was made. But it just, I never really got connected to any of the characters. I didn't necessarily go through. The two major things I took away from this film was essentially the, uh, what was it? The Night of a Thousand Spirits or, sorry, Night Parade of a Hundred Demons. That's the thing that I was going through because that was so cool as a set piece and letting all of the characters go and run wild was just a spectacle to behold. But then also... And then also the fact that the dudes literally just flew into battle with their nutsacks. Like, that is that is the only two things that I can take away. And even though that sounds baller as fuck, I literally cannot, like, recommend this going through just to go see those two. Like, watch the two clips on YouTube, and that's essentially you'll be able to get more than enough out of this by comparison to kind of, like, have the experience for that film. And then also, like, near the bottom would be My Neighbors the Yamadas. I could totally see this being, like, a passion project for Takahata in the sense that it was, what was it? I believe it was an adaptation of like a comic strip, a very old comic strip um, that has like loving detail, a lot of good pastels and watercolors like leading into the design. The story about the kids or one of the kids getting lost and the family having to go back uh, only to realize that they're like basically passing each other and like pulling a Yui. It's like, okay, that was, that was also funny, but I didn't necessarily like care or just really get invested about anything related to this family. So that definitely made it a little more difficult whenever the movie ended up pushing forward. So definitely something where it's like, if you 
would be interested in that kind of real old-style Japanese family vibe, maybe I would give this a recommendation, but otherwise, I throughout the rest of the catalog that they've got, this is probably towards near the bottom of the list, so definitely take from that what you will. And then the one that's just slightly above it, that is also just kind of mediocre at the end of the day, would probably be Ocean Waves, which is definitely kind of like a Lion King-esque story because it was the Ghibli B-team that was directed by Tomomi Mochizuki, and he didn't end up doing anything more related to uh, Studio Ghibli, so this is his one for all with uh, the rest of his uh, team. And so it was fine. I kind of liked the potential budding romance the the apparently through like the more the gayer undertones between him and his best friend completely flew over my head i had no idea that was actually a talking point throughout the rest of the film but i don't know it definitely looked cool <laughs> okay not not really cool but it was a really nice throwback about just going on an adventure like when you're young and you're young, you're brash and reckless and you don't necessarily know what you're doing but you just have to try and do it yourself and it's a story that you'll be able to hold to yourself for like ages as kind of like a personal milestone or like a core memory but at the end of the day it was definitely like something that was a little underwhelming by comparison to everything else related to the catalog and it was just, I don't know, it, it was a fine movie, but by the time the first conflict had ended, I didn't really know what else to do with it. And I appreciated seeing the class getting back together in the end, but also just kind of like not giving me enough time or just enough reason for me to care about these characters for the rest of it. So, yeah, no, it's, I would say it's fine. I, I it, like... It was definitely on there because it was just one of those obscure films that was like made in the middle of uh, Ghibli's heyday that was just completely swept under the rug because it wasn't Takahata and it wasn't Miyazaki, but I thought it was fine. It, it, it's, I don't know, I don't really have any like glowing recommendation for that, but it's just something to kind of like add to your completionist checklist and not much else. I would definitely say this was a lot lower on my list initially because the hype for it was just so much greater than the majority of Miyazaki's works, but it, by the time I went to go see it in theaters, it never really clicked with me through any of the ideas or the characters or the specific plot points that meet up with it. And that's going to go to Howl's Moving Castle, which is probably the most controversial pick that I have, like, low enough on this list, in the sense that it is a lot of people's favorites, and it's a lot, like, inside of their top three or their top five, but just... It never really clicked with me, and it, I, I never found the connection between Howell and Sophie, but it definitely grew on me on a second watch, especially after seeing Breadsword gush about this movie and being one of the lights in the darkness for him throughout the entirety of quarantine, and it being his current favorite movie. It's like, okay, now that I know someone's personal perspective on that, I will go back and give it a rewatch, and it helped. Not to as much of a degree as others would think, but I still definitely was a bit too harsh on it in the first viewing, considering that I just didn't really get how it become it became this popular and how it was this massive, but I can kind of see part of it now. And I definitely, even though like everything does become like slipshod and convenient near the end, and how the middle is kind of a slog throughout the rest of it, trying to get you immersed in the story and the history of this world, but not necessarily as much going through to kind of help you be coerced into caring about it. But I don't know. I At the end of the day, it is definitely a fine film that I can understand a lot of people love, but for me, it just wasn't it, personally. I probably should have put it above, though. I, I think I would put it at the top of this group, it was just at the it was just at the bottom of the list, so I definitely have to change it. Um, but I would definitely put when Marnie was there, like at the bottom of this group for sure, considering that it was something that was very what I don't know it, it, the twist that they implemented throughout the story was something that was just really cons I don't know it, it definitely flipped it on its head, but not for the right reasons. And I definitely would have appreciated it more if they stuck to. Uh, like the initial like time travel thing that they had going on, but the fact that what I assumed was going to be like a really like well versed like potential lesbian romance between two Ghibli characters was okay. This is new. I'm really curious how how are they going to turn this out? And the twist completely like rips that idea from the root, and it just didn't necessarily like 
it, it sounds really awkward where it's like it didn't line up to what I wanted this movie to be. And that's definitely not like a good excuse or a reason for me to like dislike it as much. But it was just once that relationship was just forever altered, none of the rest of the film, like the side characters or leading into the family or just the history of it, never really hit the same way and it didn't really add anything towards it because it was mostly just the relationship between with Marnie which was the driving force of this film and when it was swapped in that way it was just kind of like no nah this 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 is ain't it chief this was definitely kind of a, something that was a little more of a fault on my side but now it's just no I, I I can't really I can't really like give it um, like a higher ranking towards it because besides that relationship the movie had like nothing else going for it so not much you can do there um, and then definitely one where the style didn't hit me as much as it did other people as well as the story kind of didn't go through and bring me up to the same highs as the rest of Ghibli's catalog but The Tale of Princess Kaguya while beautiful in its own style was one that never really clicked to me neither the characters nor the rest of it I do think that the best parts or basically the best part of this movie is the last 10 minutes but everything else around that is essentially just this faded love story that you know because of the myth is going is never going to turn out the way that you want it to and how essentially that's going to be moving forward and the rest of it's just a tragedy because even though you know the ending at least the majority of the sequences inside of it don't necessarily bring that same gravitas as the final one does. So it does a good job with the aesthetic that it is, but personally towards me, it was definitely not something that I ended up gravitating towards too heavily, and it just didn't necessarily like hook me as well as a lot of uh, Studio Ghibli's works did before it. So I'd say it was fine. Uh, like I know that a lot of people love this, especially with its style, but I really just don't think that it kind of hit in the same way that a lot of the other works did. And then I guess at the, if I count Howls over this, the second one or the second highest inside of this group would probably be Only Yesterday, where it's the same deal where I understand the relationships between these characters, but because of how naturalistic um, and realistic that this film kind of like brings everything down towards to put you in the same mindset and the frame of your main character, it was definitely, like, as it is, it was incredibly mundane, and a lot of people praise it for its for that being one of its strengths. It doesn't necessarily work for an engaging film experience. So I definitely appreciated a lot of the flashbacks towards um, the main character's childhood in terms of, like, bringing that into light and how that has essentially shaped her as a person. But then leading up to all the stuff that's happening in the present day doesn't really just hit as strongly as it does and I definitely appreciate the way that they end up uh, like pulling it all together in the end but there was a lot of meandering and the majority of that takes place in the current day and so by comparison I would say it's a fine film but it is definitely something that is for a specific demographic that definitely didn't hit me in the same way that a lot of others did. I can't, I'm really trying to stray away from like, oh, it hits different or like the fucking trash taste, but it's just, I don't know. It just didn't work the same way for me as it did for a lot of people. So I don't know. It's definitely fine. I would definitely say, so inside of this next group, Castle in the Sky was a enjoyable experience for the majority of the runtime. I loved the characters and the dynamics and how they essentially flip the majority of it on its head to kind of like go through and realize that, you know, enemy but becomes your friend style of storytelling that Ghibli interacts with in a lot of their uh, like own tales and their own productions. And I definitely like appreciated that, like leading into it and like seeing all the set pieces and like everything coming together towards the end and having like a really good uh, like relationship between the two protagonists as well as all, like, the, the cool, cheesy beats that happen in the middle of the story. Like, they do a really good job in making this an engaging and entertaining story that also gets you curious about the famed castle in the sky and how, essentially, that will work and why it is such a coveted piece that everybody inside of this world, even though technology is moving forward without it, people want to know its secrets. They want to understand why this thing is essentially going through and living just as much in hiding of itself, but also in hiding of the world that continuously tries to find and unearth its secrets. So this is like almost every, so basically every film beyond this, I would definitely like give a recommendation because Ghibli's catalog is just that fucking good, uh, like as well as a lot of Miyazaki and Takahata's works. So just everything 
past this point is like a hard recommendation for me that I would definitely recommend like anybody to go see depending on what you are curious about in terms of the story and if it definitely flights your fancy. Uh, so what do we got next? Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah, no, Arcata definitely put it best where I can definitely see and understand the message and being put inside of that inside of our main character's head and trying to figure out what you would do in the sense of overwhelming odds and if you would allow those odds to essentially beat you down, beat you senseless in the middle of a senseless war and then just leave you to die or are you going to be able to move past the majority of it and help not only yourself but the only family that you have left. And it's a very harrowing experience and puts you right down in the dirt with these characters and it's definitely one where... I watched it once, and I appreciated it, and I'm never going to watch it again, because it is a horrific experience to just hope that anything good happens to these characters, hoping that any like positive light or turn of events could kind of bring it around, and you keep hoping against hope that it'll actually like turn out well in the end, where it's there's nothing you can do, where the war has already gone through, it has already eviscerated the landscape, and it is going to try and satiate and feed on as many innocent people as possible. And the only thing that you can hope is that is it going to essentially take our main characters? Possibly. Um, on the opposite side of the spectrum, that's a lot more, you know, positive and engaging and kind of like going through the tribulations of growing up would be Kiki's Delivery Service. I definitely like really, like I love the style. I loved the town that Kiki ends up going through and uh, employing herself through as kind of like the right of a witch and kind of like really having to grow up way too damn quickly because it's like yo we're just gonna send you in your like early teens down to a random city and you're going to use your witch powers to essentially go through and find a job anywhere when you're this when you're this bloody young and it's like all you have to do is go and live on your own and see if you can like go through and live through the trials of not only growing up but it, like indoctrinating yourself into a society uh i was a fucking girls softball umpire when I was 12 and or, or around whichever I'm, I'm pretty sure like in the years that he was going through I was basically just umping softball and she was like trying to go and live like on her own in an attic in a town that she had never been before and it's like all right props to you I definitely appreciate your enthusiasm and your tenacity and she does go through some trials and some tribulations, a lot of ups and downs, but the lessons that she's able to learn from the people that she ends up living with and going through and interacting and loving along the way definitely just makes her grow as a person and does a really good job at essentially not only showing loss of innocence, but also essentially going through and helping these characters grow up in a way that even though is a bit premature, in is a much more healthier way through not just trauma, but through experience. And lessons that only the world can teach you. And then, let's see, what else we got? Wind Rises. Wind Rises is definitely inside of this bit, where I definitely appreciated the romance that ended up blossoming between these characters. I definitely appreciated that kind of engineer's mind going through and trying to figure out, even though at the end of the day, the machines that he was forced to build would end up becoming machines of war, regardless, it is that engineering creed that he goes through to kind of go through, help, discover, and essentially not only invent, but create something that nobody would have thought possible in the face of the tr of the times that they were going through. Not only natural disaster, but man-made disaster as well. And so, I definitely appreciated the message towards the end of this film. I definitely appreciated all the dreamlike sequences that kind of gave you more than enough a reason why the main character does what he does, and why it is so important to him to drive himself to that extreme, even at the expense of not only his family, but the ones that he finds and makes his own. But yeah, no, it's... Definitely that kind of strive where how much work can you do and how much are you going to have to sacrifice in order to get what you want and in order to find that position in life that you've been searching for and how much you would have to lose in order to make that a reality. And so this is a spiritual successor, I guess, sequel, kind of, sort of, not really to one of them. This was one that I ended up watching recently by comparison, and this is The Cat Returns. And it is a spiritual successor to another film that is a lot higher on this list, but it focuses on a character that was a tinker and an, ob an object 
that had a story around him, but was actually given full form, and the world that he inhabits with all of his creatures and his friends and his comrades, that a random girl ends up getting literally spirited away from, or spirited away to. Just the energy and the enthusiasm and just how quickly it hits its story beats. Like, it is less than an hour and a half long, I believe. So it is a very, it is a quicker than most uh, movie to consume. And technically, you don't even have to watch the other movie, like, on, on this list, which is, uh, what was it, uh, Whisper of the Heart. You don't even need to watch Whisper of the Heart to essentially, like, go through and watch this film. But it was fun. It was engaging. I definitely appreciate the characters and how simple the conflict is and by the end and by the end of it it's just resolved in a way that is definitely more than satisfying and in a way to kind of give hope to the characters that are remaining and left behind in that world and the ones that essentially have to find their way back home uh so let's see the lowest in this group but definitely goro miyazaki's best work by far even though there was a lot of input and help from his father is from up on poppy hill i loved like in terms of the real like the realistic aspect that is brought in from only yesterday, I definitely, like, jumped to this one more, like, being through a port uh, in a fairy town. But for me, the one that really, like, got me hooked and invested in this is even though it is definitely something that is not realistic to the point of how grand they make this one specific world to be, and that is basically the clubhouse inside of this film is like one of my favorite settings inside of a Ghibli Miyazaki just in a film period because this one building that is so cramped, decrepit, and just falling apart at the seams has so much life, so much lived-in experience and grime and personality that is exaggerated by all of the teens that are essentially going through this, I believe it's 60s Japan at the time, and it just does a really good job at just evolving and like bringing that setting to the forefront and having a really compelling but awkward romance especially like when the major conflict of this story is just kind of not really a will they won't they but kind of like a sweet home alabama sort of deal and they don't know if that's the case so it's just really really awkward in that that is the major one of the major conflicts inside of the series is that they're also thinking about taking away the clubhouse and if you take away that clubhouse you definitely take away the heart of the movie so i'm definitely glad that it ended up going the way that it did but all of the leads are entertaining to watch. They're all really interesting to go through and appreciate and experience their trials and their tribulations with, even though it is very simple high schooler stuff. At least the, the demographic and the perspective of a high schooler in the 60s actually gives it a little more of a unique spin and actually gives us a little bit uh, more things to chew on and kind of explore and figure out essentially not only the trends, the topics, and the science, and just the ideas that were happening around that period. And so in that same vein, I would say the back-to-backs, uh, Totoro and Ponyo, are, like, in that same, like, ballpark, whereas Ponyo has, like, a little... <laughs> where it's Totoro is the fate of one little girl, and Ponyo's is, like, the fate of the world because the ocean's angry, even though the scales of the conflict are, like, a lot greater on one side than the other. They both do just a really good job, like, having a really good family unit and dynamic that makes them all incredibly, like cheerful and calm and people that you essentially want to root for and they just do a really good job at establishing not only the fantastical but the real that they merge like very seamlessly inside of both of these films i mean personally i think i liked ponyo a little more than i did totoro but that's definitely like not to understate considering that totoro it, he is their mascot he is like one of the most iconic characters in animation period and they do i would say they do a really good job on both fronts making these series very homey, naturalistic, and familial. And I would definitely recommend giving both of these a watch, considering that the childlike wonder that you're able to see in both of these films are definitely just bar none uh, through any of these. Well, looking through the list, yeah, no, the, the, the childish whimsy, like, compared to all of Ghibli's catalog is just, they are easily at the top of the bar inside of this entire studio. And then another kind of fantastical whimsy that I definitely liked a lot more than I thought it would have would have been The Secret World of Arietti. And I think it's because I really like the folk, the acoustic, the harp. Basically, all of the soundtrack inside of this film is like one of my favorites inside of Studio Ghibli's uh, catalog of work. But it just does a really good job at taking a very mundane world, which is essentially just 
the they are what is it the borrowers i believe was the children's book that this was adapted from and it's just hey these are borrowers that are like six inches tall or so and they live underneath your floorboards and it's the way they are able to make one countryside lodge and house into this sprawling just maze of both wonder and the change in perspective that you essentially get from these smaller characters and what they're able to accomplish in just one like little setting in one house where it's like same deal the conflict isn't that high strung or grand but it's still because of the not only the size of the characters but the size of the world that they inhabit it definitely fits in terms of comparison but no i definitely enjoyed the family i, I enjoyed the ingenuity that they're able to use basic household items to essentially go and traverse what is a large sprawling world to them but is essentially just a room to us and the way that they're able to mold that perspective into an engaging experience is definitely something that i would give props to uh, this movie in general uh, let's see, top six, top six, so I've got four here, let's get, all right, let's see, where, where would I put these four? I would say at the bottom of the, like, the bottom, so number six, I guess, Let, let's go with uh, Nosco the Valley of the Wind, where it has, I still need to read the manga on this for sure, but the world that has been crafted by Miyazaki inside of this is just such a fantastical like mix of mad max medieval fire emblem and modernistic machinery that essentially goes through and has the potential to blow over and destroy the world the way that they're able to juggle all of that to create like a very down-to-earth you know valley and hill and as well as through the rest of it they do a really good job at not only establishing the world and its conflicts between not only people but the environment and how ostensibly just the environment is not suitable to like give life anymore but regardless Nasca does her damnedest in order to make that a reality and she's been doing that for years and Nasca is easily like probably the top three one of the top three protagonists inside of all of Ghibli's works and like one of the best female like leads inside of like a film period considering that she does a really good job in terms of going through and escalating and de-escalating conflict sacrificing not only her body and her mind but for her people but for the world at large and trying to mend the relationship between everything around her she just does like she's so much on her plate and she does an exceptional job at balancing it all out and so i would definitely like give this even though technically this was two years before the studio was founded uh, it's like it's still a must watch especially inside of all ghibli's catalog but i still need to get over over and read the manga so there is that. What else would I go? I'll probably put next the Castle of Cagliostro. So it's it's like, oh, so what are the two? It's like, these are the two. So Cagliostro and Nasca are like the two like ones that wiggle their way in on a complication in my weird like set of rules. But regardless, it's so good because like, as Breadsword said, name me like a better directorial debut for like any filmmaker ever and it's like Miyazaki even though he's given a well-known title the fact that he was able to do this on his first like major outing as a director is a fucking feat it is ridiculous how fun and wacky and romantic and crass ridiculous and cheesy but just to the right amount it just does such a good job like blending all of these especially with characters that have already been so melded for, through what was at least a decade of all meaning and well set up characters that had already been done more than enough duty from monkey punch but it was just such a fun ride and it is cheesy as fuck especially the last line said in the movie but i just love it to bits for that it was the perfect amount of cheesiness and the perfect amount of entertainment for like one of the like greatest sleuth heroes that has essentially graced the medium uh let's see yep i would say next i would put spirited away as up there it's definitely like number one for a lot of people and i can definitely understand that and there are a couple that i think are just a little better and like ones that i personally think are my favorites but like spirited away is like what else am i supposed to say it's spirited away it's like a fantastic soundtrack by Joe Hisaishi, like possibly the best directorial set for Hayao Miyazaki like ever. The themes of not only finding your place in the world, but also trying to grow and mature and like live up to the expectations that not only your family and your friends have set up for you, but trying your damnedest to essentially live up to everything that has been thrown in front of you and to try and go through and 
even though every task seems menial, it is almost incomparable due to the gravity of all the scenarios that is not abound to Chihiro's understanding, but she just does a good job with everything that is thrown in front of her. Like, I don't know, it, like the, just the sound, the animation, the the setting, the, just the setting of the bathhouse alone is more than enough to like put it up on this list. But you also got the town, you got the river, you got the train, you got the little shack that Alibaba's sister lives in. Just exceptional. It does a fantastic job in every respect. And I could definitely see this being number one on a lot of people's lists, but I'll give it like four for now. Uh, so num what have I got number three? Whisper of the Heart. This is definitely looking through the best romance out of any of Ghibli's catalog for sure. And not only is it a great romance, it's like realistic and modern, but you are thrown into like such kinetic energy as the teenagers are going through. So even though they both have lofty ambitions... It's also like not only grounded, but it throws you in. It knows when to dial up the pace to kind of keep everything flowing in a good way. It knows when to dial it down. So all of the harder moments and the trials and the tribulations that these characters go through, who are, even though they're just middle schoolers or junior high, however you need to call it, Shizuku just does what she does out of the passion that she wants to do. And she just goes through imposter syndrome. She goes through the grind. She just doesn't know, even though it's something that she really enjoys, she doesn't, she doesn't know she can go through and make work out of it. She doesn't know what to do with the expectations of her family or her friends or her school or society or basically anybody like leaving through. I just have no, you just can't help but just root for her whenever she's going through and trying to go through on screen. And that also doesn't necessarily just lead up to her, considering that Seiji, who is, like, doing his best, too, in a much more niche sort of piece of work in terms of violins and their construction, but it just does a really good job at not only finding the parallels between not only the relationship that they want to have, their budding friendship, which, which starts out as, like, one of the best pieces of animosity between the two of them, which is, like, such a... Like, it was, it was so cheeky, but it was honestly great, to the point where they legitimately just have to try and go through and figure it out. So, sorry, this wasn't... Nah, I, I never did say this was done by Miyazaki, but this was done, the screenplay was done by it, but it was directed by Yoshifumi Kondo, who unfortunately passed away three years later after this film came out, and he was the only one that people were thinking that could become successors to either Miyazaki or Takahata, which is really unfortunate considering that the work that he was able to do here was just a masterstroke in the limited time that he was able to give. Although I will admit the one awkward thing that I'm never going to live down or let this film live down is that I watched this in the middle like of a, of a Ghibli Fest run where I was not only watching them in theaters, but I was also watching them like at home on my computer. And this was at the peak of the country roads, just like pandemic, where you could not, you, you, it, 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 the song was on the radio, the song was at restaurants, the song was being like played on the streets, the song was like hitting up at the charts on everything on Spotify, and there was like, oh my god, it's inescapable, there's nothing I can do. Um, and then finally, it's like, okay, you know what, I'm going to watch, you know, some anime, so at least I can watch some anime films, specifically from the 90s, and I won't have to worry about listening to this song. The first line this movie gives you is the opening lyrics to take me home country roads and as soon as the chorus starts going country roads i'm like no fucking way did i just get hit by this in a japanese anime film from 1995 i cannot fucking escape this song uh, it was just, oh man, it, it, I don't know. It was just something so funny to me at the time. And it was like, you know, it, it's eventually faded away because I don't really like the song that much. But just that being just so fuck, it, like I, you could not escape it. it. It was so hilarious. So now I will give my top two. And so I'll give away the one to me that I believe is objectively the best Ghibli film which I would give that title of Princess Mononoke in terms of the story, in terms of the environment, in terms of the respect between not only nature, but man who not only can continuously expand and grow, but have to do at the expense of nature in of itself. The dichotomy between Ashitaka's rage and his ever, not necessarily pacifistic nature, but idyllic nature to essentially stop conflict and get in the middle of it so it doesn't escalate regardless of where it goes. 
just the sprawling sites and the trees and the valleys and the villages and just same deal like Irontown being still one of the best settings inside of a Ghibli film was a fantastic set, especially with Lady Eboshi, considering that she wants what is best for her village, but she will do whatever it takes in order to go through and eradicate the animals that decide to go through and live, considering that they will never let them go through peacefully and they will never let them expand. Even at even though they know that there is a good amount of damage that they're doing to the environment, they still need to go through and that ever human drive to continuously move forward and expand is not something that's looked down upon, but still it is something that needs to be acknowledged. But it did do a fantastic job through living the world and both and all the perspectives, not only from San, but from Ashitaka and as well as Lady Eboshi and having them clash in the best ways possible. I do think that Princess Mononoke is the best film uh, that Ghibli's made under this catalog. But it is my favorite. My favorite definitely goes to Porco Rosso. It's, I, I don't know why, it, it's just, not only is it a, like, mature and realistic drama that leads through some romance and some trials and tribulations on the backs of a, on a society that is leaning towards fascism inside of his own, like, home of Italy, but the fact that he is a ace fighter pilot that is cursed with a random thing where it's like he's a pig because men are pigs. Just that that is taken so matter-of-factly by everybody else where it's like, oh, it's Porco. Hey, man, how's it going? It's like he has, he still has friends like back on the mainland of Italy and it's just like, he, like they all accept it. It's like, yeah, I know you're my best friend and I can get you a good job. I can get you like back into the Air Force so you don't have to be treated as like an outcast and an abandoner. And it's like, yeah, you know what? Fuck you. I'd rather be a pig than a fascist. <laughs> it is one of the best lines like inside of Ghibli's like catalog. Easy. Um, but then it's just like how not only is it mature in those ways, it is childish in like the most random sets where it's like, oh, so these children, these toddlers are getting kidnapped uh, by these sky pirates. Like the, the pirates are just Taking them all, it's like, no, we can't leave any of the children behind because we need more hostages. No, because it would be mean if we left all any of them on their own. They always have to be in a group so they so they don't lose each other. It's like, oh my god, what? And they're just like, t like especially the dub where it's like, all the kids are like, are we getting kidnapped? Yep. So we're going on a plane ride? Yep. And we're not going to be going on the boat anymore? Yep. <laughs> it's just, like, just so matter-of-factly that not only the kids, but the sky pirates that, like, are carrying heavy artillery and machine guns on their plane, that it's just, it's so matter-of-fact and everybody just accepts it. Like, the tone of this whiplashes so, like, hard back and forth between just the outcomes and the conflicts of the actions, and then leading into, like, one of, literally just... A conflict for a maiden's heart that neither side is like, well, actually one side is pining over, but the man is just kind of like, he flip he flip-flops between women like it's fucking flapjacks. Like there's nothing, like he, he just goes after what he sees and he likes it, but it's still, it's it's not it's not taken as a leecherous or like a horrific like, ah oh, man, you better win this fight or I'm going to take your girl. It's like, like, it's just, everybody acknowledges that he's an idiot, but the one thing that you can't take away from this man is that he is an ace fighter pilot. And that's the same thing you can take away with Porco Rosso, that he is also an ace fighter pilot. And they're foils to each other, but their similarities are so like poignant that they just fucking hate each other for it. And it's just so comical, especially just the like same deal, the last 10 to 15 minutes where how the conflict is resolved and, like, how the outcome of the fight is determined is just so damn hilarious. <laughs> it's, I don't know, it, like, just everything revolving around this film is just so cheerful but serious and poignant but also childish that it just does such a good job with all the pieces and all the characters and all the setting. And, like, basically it was a passion project for Miyazaki because he is such a plain nut and, like, a plain otaku that all of the... Just all of the planes that he was able to go through and design and, like, draw throughout this entire... Like, it must have been so cathartic for him to finally get the opportunity to, like, make a film like this. Which would then be seconded by, uh, what is it, The Wind Rises. But still, like, this must have been, like, one of his favorite productions. Just easy. And so because of all that, this is definitely my favorite Ghibli film of all time. So I'll try and get this out 
uh, and line it up for like a regular Tuesday release. Uh, like I'll have it lined up and edited, but I'm still going to try and keep this on the bi-weekly. I'm going to go through... Uh, and visit a couple of towns. I'm going to be visiting, I went, I'm going to go through and visit Kelowna and help out some people there. And then I'm going to go to Banff for the first time. That's really going to be interesting. And I'm going to go down and meet a buddy of mine who I haven't seen for a while in Nelson and stay there for a day or two and kind of like go pull a Yui, see all the places that I need to see, and then just head back home uh, sometime next week. So I'm, I'm going to be bringing not only my mic, but as well as I've finally been able to outfit my GoPro to kind of, like, get good footage not only up on the mountains that I've been able to ski, but also, like, have it, like, with a decent setup to, uh, like, like do, like, throw into my car and, like, have some B footage to kind of, like, go through and, like, show the experience. But, yeah, no, I'm really curious to see how that's going to turn out. I'm really curious to see how the rest of the season is going to end, considering that huge... Things such as Attack on Titan are going to be, like, finally reaching their conclusion. And then on the opposite side, Tokyo 24 is also going to be really interesting to talk about as well. So I'm really curious to see how that goes. Owl House is still running strong. Really, like, appreciating that and, like, enjoying all the episodes that are coming out on Saturdays. And now that Moon Knight is out, where last night I was able to go through a buddy's place and we were able to talk about a couple of films and TV shows and anime, but we were able to just throw on Moon Knight because out of nowhere it's like, oh yeah, no, it just dropped. Well, there you go. It's the first episode definitely caught me, and I'm really curious to see how the rest of it pans out and how it's going to go through the rest of it. And then the last, like, anime-only, or non-anime thing that I'm probably going to be thinking about talking about at some point is probably going to be Peaky Blinders, because the sixth and final season is now currently airing on the BBC, but considering, but it's not going to be going through on Netflix until everything has been completed and done. But that hasn't stopped me from going through and finding a couple of torrents to go through, so I'll probably wait for my dad to get back uh, and see if I'm going to be having the opportunity to go through and uh, watch that final season with him. So a lot of things to look forward to, a lot of things to talk about, so I'm definitely glad that's going to be the case for the rest of the month of April and kind of see how things move forward in the future. So uh, thanks. Cheers. (laughs) 